Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Lisa, and filling in for Shell for one more episode is yours truly, Randy Finley. Back by unpopular demand. (laughs) I loved last episode. You were great. Thank you. I lost four and a half pounds from sweat and stress. God. Well, thank you for coming back for another episode. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, I want to say a massive thank you to our listeners who've been so generous and bought us some coffees on buymeacoffee.com. This one goes out to Kate, Jackie, Jill, and Kristen. Your support means so much. This week's case will give you full-on chills. Imagine witnessing a murder, but you couldn't do anything to help because you were separated by a computer screen thousands of miles away. This is the case of Xian Liu. Xian Liu was a 23-year-old international student from Beijing studying English at York University in Toronto. Xian also went by the name Nicole, so that's what I will be referring to her as. Nicole was born into an adoring family as an only child. She began to show her talent with drawing at a very young age and even won her first drawing competition in grade three. She was smart, loved to volunteer, and had a heart of gold. After finishing university in China, Nicole decided to make the move to Toronto to take a two-year English program at York University with the goal of teaching in the student exchange program back in Beijing. In January of 2011, Nicole made the big move and arrived in the Great White North. She moved into an apartment at 27 Aldwinkle Heights that was just walking distance to the campus. But when I looked at pictures of the building, it's actually more of a townhouse. It was all brick, a three-story home with one entrance. So it seems like this was a shared housing place for students where eight tenants would rent out their own room and had a communal kitchen and a laundry room. The laundry room was downstairs, which was on the same level as Nicole's room. About three months had gone by and Nicole was making friends and settling in well. She would Skype with her friends and parents back home who she missed so much. On April 14th, 2011, Nicole was Skyping with her mom and was super excited because she had just booked a flight back home for a visit soon. When she ended the video call, she hopped on with her ex-boyfriend, Chan Meng. I'm not sure why they broke up, but maybe they were on a break because she was overseas, but they were on good terms and had been keeping in touch. Nicole and Chan were having a nice visit when all of a sudden Nicole takes off her headsets and she turns around someone was knocking on her bedroom door. It was around one in the afternoon for Chan in Beijing. So with the time difference, this would be around one in the morning for Nicole. And she obviously wasn't expecting company. So Chan watches from his computer as Nicole gets up to answer the door. When she opens it, a young man is standing there and greets her. It appears that Nicole knows this man, and she's relaxed while they interact in a brief and friendly conversation. But that's when it takes a turn. The man steps forward and tries to hug Nicole, but she quickly rejects him and pushes him back towards the door. She tries to shove him out of her room, but the guy forces his way back in. 
Nicole begins to struggle with the man and he pushes her to the ground towards her bed and out of view from the screen. Chan is yelling and shouting from his webcam, but Nicole's headsets were still plugged in so the man couldn't hear him, leaving Chan helpless with nothing to do but just watch the blank screen as he could hear Nicole being attacked and shouting no, no in English and Mandarin from thousands of miles away. Oh, that's so upsetting. I know. That's when Chan hears two muffled bangs and Nicole's screams stop. Chan's just staring at the screen in complete horror, not knowing what to do. After a few moments of complete silence, he hears the sound of heavy breathing. Then appearing back on the screen, the attacker walks over to Nicole's door and closes it. Then he turns off the lights. And then walks right up to Nicole's laptop, and he has no pants or underwear on. Okay. He reaches for the laptop and turns it off. The call is disconnected. And that's what her ex-boyfriend was left with. Like, what the fuck that did I just so watch? so creepy. Oh, they're like slowly walking up to the to Oh the my screen. god. With like no pants and underwear? Like, yeah. oh my fucking god. Oh, no. Chan is full on panicking. He is all the way over in Beijing and has no fucking clue who to call for help. He somehow manages to hack into Nicole's online messaging account called QQ, which is similar to MSN. And he starts messaging her contacts, telling them that Nicole is in danger and they need to go to her apartment to help her. But it's in the middle of the night in Toronto, and no one's awake to read the frantic messages. It wouldn't be until several hours later, when people were waking up, that they saw the messages. And once they did, they hurried to get a hold of Nicole's landlord to help them check on her. It was somewhere between 10 and 11 a.m. that the landlord used the master key to get into Nicole's room, and when they entered, they saw the lifeless body of Nicole laying face down on the floor next to her bed with blood surrounding her head. Her nightgown was pulled up to her shoulders and her underwear were laying next to her on the floor. When the paramedics team arrived, rigor mortis had already set in. Nicole had bruising on her neck and her eyes were bloodshot. Her autopsy report determined that the cause of death was mechanical asphyxiation of the neck, which was some form of neck compression, so not specifically saying that it was strangulation. I'm curious as to know what the two big thuds were, though. I'm assuming it was like maybe him hitting her head on the ground or something or but he couldn't see, right? Because they were out of view. They were in like the blind spot of the webcam. So he could just hear. He couldn't really, yeah. The forensic pathologist found semen on her abdomen, breasts, and inner thigh. And DNA from a male was found under her nails. Although semen was found on her body, it appears from what I've read that there were no signs of penetration. The only DNA found in Nicole's mouth and genitals were her own. Weird. So he was just like attacking her and getting off on just attacking her with his pants down. Maybe. Although there are cases where there's no signs of sexual assault. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can be sexually assaulted without having any signs of it, but if there's no DNA there, I I don't know. It there probably wasn't. It sounded like it was super quick too what mm-hmm. had happened, like who knows if who knows what he did, but mm-hmm. Investigators searched Nicole's room and noticed that Nicole's laptop was missing, except for the cords and the mouse. They tried to retrieve data from Skype to see if the video chat had been recorded, but it wasn't. All they were able to get was the audio from Chan Meng's computer. So somehow he had audio. Oh, that's good. Thankfully. But looking back at this, I guess because it's 2011, was Snapchat a thing back then? It may have been. Even though your pictures disappear, they're still in the world. Yeah, that's true. But it was Skype though, right? I know, but like, is there no technology that can go into some like memory drive where they're, they are being recorded somehow? Well, I know like right now when we use Zoom calls, like for my work, if it's going to be recorded, someone has to start, someone has to press, press record. start recording. Yeah. Hmm. Chan provided a description of Nicole's attacker to the police over the phone. He described him as a Caucasian male between the ages of 20 and 30, 175 to 200 pounds, with medium-length brown hair. After interviewing all the tenants that lived in the house at 27 Aldwinkle Heights, there was one guy in particular that caught their eye. His name was Brian Dixon and he matched the description that Nicole's ex had provided. Dixon lived on the main floor right above Nicole. He was a few years older, about 29 years old at the time, and he had been attending York University on and off for about 10 years taking political science courses. 10 years! But even after those 10 years, he had only completed three full years. Just let it go, bro. Yeah. Just let it go. (laughs) In his first couple years, though, he was pretty involved with the school, playing on the varsity baseball team, and he was the president of a couple of poli-sci clubs. Police didn't ask him outright for a DNA sample. Instead, they obtained two of his cigarette butts. And with that, it was confirmed that the DNA that they found on Nicole's body was a match to Brian Dixon. Four days after Nicole's murder, they brought Brian Dixon in for questioning. He states that on the night of Nicole's murder, he had been doing his laundry in the basement at around 10 p.m. He said that he had met Nicole a couple of times in the past and that he had only made physical contact with her by shaking her hand and touching her shoulder. He said that while he was doing his laundry, quote, the girl came out of her room and they had a casual conversation about things like the oven not working properly. Don't touch my fucking shoulder. <laughs> Just because I'm talking to you about my oven doesn't mean you can touch my fucking shoulder. So yeah. shoulder out of it. But I also just found it weird that he was referring to her as the girl. Yeah. Super informal. Like, oh yeah, the, the girl. I feel like I've heard of that before in situations where someone who was guilty was talking about someone that they have killed and they have referred to them in like a really informal way like that. Yeah. Like it's almost like they're disassociating themselves. Yes. From you get, let me hold on. Let me just crush my water. 
You know what I mean, folks. <laughs> that, no, you're right, though, because when you look back at one of our older episodes for the Cody Legibokov case, he did the same thing with mm-hmm. Lauren Leslie, and he kept referring to her as it. Yeah, just taking like the emotion out of it or, yeah, or it makes it yeah. easier for them to lie about it if they're not referring to them on like a personal level. Yeah. So then Dixon says that he left the house after putting his laundry in the wash and went to the campus pub while his laundry was running a cycle. He said that he had a pitcher of beer and then he took a sleeping pill right before leaving and came back to the house just after 12.30 to put his clothes in the dryer. Nicole died 30 minutes later. The interrogation lasted about three and a half hours, and I tried so hard to find the interrogation video, but I don't know why, it's like nowhere to be found. It's just not available. But the only clip that I do have is from the Toronto City News, so I'm just gonna play a little snippet of that for you. Did you kill Nicole? No! I did not. No. no! Stop asking me, you guys. <laughs> I was just God. doing my laundry. Ugh. He sounds like such a whiny tool. <laughs> yeah. So people who knew Brian said that he was the kind of guy who was always sleeping around and just thought he was hot shit. So even though Dixon insisted that he had only met Nicole a couple of times, someone who claims to be Nicole's friends said otherwise. They said that Dixon had been stalking Nicole after she had turned down his advances. But that hasn't really been confirmed. Mm. At the preliminary hearing, Dixon's story changed. He was now admitting that he was there when Nicole died, but it was an accidental death after an assault gone wrong. He refused to plead guilty to first-degree murder and instead wanted to plead guilty to manslaughter. Remember when I said that Nicole's cause of death was from some sort of neck compression? Mm-hmm. Well, Dixon claimed that he was sitting on her chest and her neck was wrenched in an awkward position and that that's probably why she died. But the Crown denied his request for the manslaughter plea and the charge with first-degree murder remained in place. While Dixon was awaiting his trial, he was denied bail and was sitting behind bars for three years until his court date in 2014. Nicole's family flew over from Beijing to attend the trial, listening with headsets as the painful details of their daughter's murder were presented and translated. It literally only took four hours for the jury to come up with a decision. Brian Dixon was found guilty of first-degree murder of Xian Liu and uneligible for parole for 25 years. And there was information that wasn't even presented for the jury to hear to help make this decision. What they did not know was that Dixon had previously been accused of sexual assault on three other women, but the charges were withdrawn for some reason. And he was abusive to one of his ex-girlfriends, where she claims that he had once choked her. Oh, God. So the bruising on Nicole's neck, maybe he actually did strangle her. Mm-hmm. The jury was also not told that investigators found 103 pornography DVDs in Dixon's apartment. 
about half of those DVDs were Asian porn. Mm, so he's got a thing. He's got a thing. And a quarter of them were teenage porn. Oh no. So child porn. Yes. It's child porn. Worst of all... I swear to fucking God, if you say anything to do with babies, I am done. Dixon was a member of several online chat rooms, of which they found 34 posts where he's advocating incest and having sex with children. No, 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 Lisa, no. (laughs) His username was DJ Jake the Snake. (laughs) You are a snake. Dixon suffered from anxiety and depression, and that sleeping pill that he took that night was called Soroquel, which is an antipsychotic. It's primarily used to treat schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression, but it can also help aid with insomnia. And from what I learned about it, if you're taking it for depression, which is what he had, you're supposed to take it before bedtime. And probably not with a pint of beer. <laughs> Probably recommend not not mixing. (laughs) So when he took it that night before leaving the pub, that might be true, but he was identified by Nicole's ex and his semen was found on Nicole's body. So it means nothing to me. No, I thought that he would try to use that. He was out of his mind. I don't remember what happened. In a psychotic state. No, he didn't even do that. Dixon tried to appeal his sentencing, saying that the judge erred by rejecting his proposal of a guilty plea to manslaughter. And he applied to be provided a government-funded lawyer. In other words, a lawyer paid for by the taxpayers. But in 2016, it was denied by Justice Gloria Epstein, where she said, quote, I'm not persuaded that there is an arguable ground of appeal. The future is female. They never ended up finding her laptop. I don't know what he did with it. That's so weird. So with a man behind bars and a loss that has shattered an entire community, we are no longer wondering whose crime is it anyway? Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We will be back next week with Shell returning from her break with a brand new case. Until then, follow us on Instagram at Whose Crime Podcast, and we're also on Twitter at Whose Crime Pod. And if you'd like to support our show, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Whose Crime Pod. Bye! Toodles! She moved into an apartment at 27 Aldwinkle Heights.